Welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. This episode is with Randy Nichols, and this has been a long time coming. I have wanted to do an episode with him for quite a while. And the reason for that is, one, he manages Under Oath. Tim McTagg from the band was on the podcast. It was one of my favorite episodes. And both of them are just super smart people and they work really well together. So I wanted to hear about his take on some of that. But also just in general, Randy's that kind of guy that's been involved in so many different projects, so many tech startups, as well as music. He has this crazy network. He's been in the game forever and he's really, really smart. So for all of those reasons, I very much wanted to have him on the show. We talk about all of the things that he's done, which was insane. And then we also talk about the future of music and where he sees it going and how he's excited about adopting certain technologies, talking about NFTs and blockchains and how artists can incorporate that uh, a little bit more outside of just the hypey things that we've been hearing about. So that was cool. He talks about how excited he is for audio and where that can grow. And he also just shares a bunch of really good advice for any type of manager or anyone in the industry trying to network, how to send concise emails and get your point across, where he gets his information and how he continues to learn. Overall, just a really, really helpful episode with a lot in it. And episodes like that are my favorite. So I hope you enjoy it as well. If you do, I ask the same thing every time, but it's because it's so, so helpful and it really does make a difference. Share it with your friends, share it on social media. If you wanna go above and beyond and rate it wherever you're listening on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on YouTube, all of those things seriously help it get discovered and grow and then help me talk to even more cool people like Randy. So it's a little thing that you can do for free that helps so, so much and I really do appreciate it. With all of that said, enjoy the episode and thank you for watching and listening where are all my friends we're doing the thing randy nichols i don't even know where to start with you because i've been wanting to do this podcast for so long and i feel like it's going to be one of those ones where we could really quickly say who you are and what you do so we can just get right into talking about all of the random things that we want to talk about and all of the things we're excited about, because I know you go so much deeper than just music manager, and I'm so excited to talk about that. Yeah, I'm stoked to be here. I listened to a bunch of your podcasts and just was like, why am I not on this? We should talk. This would just be fun. I just kind of like find myself talking back to the podcast because I just want to be in the <laughs> conversation. So I'm glad to be a part of one for real now. Well, dude, not only that, like I'm I'm legit honored to have you because it's been one of those things in my head where I'm like, why have we not done a Randy episode yet? Because you keep coming up with other guests on the show and it's like this big puzzle coming together and you'll have somebody come on and they'll say something and they'll mention they're like, yeah, Randy really inspired me to do this. Or my manager, you know, Tim from Under Oath was on. He's like, oh, our manager, Randy, did this. And every time it kind of clicks in my head where I'm like, this dude is fucking smart. So now to have you on and hear your perspectives and stories, and it's just so cool to put these puzzle pieces together. Bryce Carr from Fender that was on talked about how you were a huge piece and him getting a huge role. And like, it, it's just- Now been, he's at Rally. That's right. Now he's yeah, in the cryptocurrency like, space. And amazing on that is I was a reference for him going to his next job at Rally after- he told the story of me helping him with bands in town and then helping him with Fender. And then I was able to help him, you know, be a reference when he went to rally. And by no means am I taking credit for Bryce, but it's just awesome how we're all tied together and help our friends out. Dude, that's exactly it. And that's, I guess if you were to say like the theme of this show, it's something around that, right? Like I think the idea behind it was the, how I built this of music and people that have done yeah, it doesn't even have to be music, but people who have made something of themselves from a non-traditional career. And I happen to have a lot of friends that work in music. But again, my thing where I'm excited to talk to you is you're really a lot deeper than just music. And from everything I've seen, and I don't know the deep dive, you've just been involved in the craziest, coolest things and pay attention to the right stuff and kind of have more of a desire to be you're just more than a music manager. Like you're just a guy that's like good at business and stuff. So before we get too rambly, I guess anybody that doesn't know who you are, just who you are and what you do in a very brief summary. Well, I started in fourth grade selling lollipops to the kids in my school to Let's make go. to make money. Made a yeah. fortune off of that. That's that's where it all began. But um, 
fast forwarding to being in college, I interned for a bunch of record companies, booking agencies, all kinds of things. First job in the industry, I was a booking agent. And uh, well, I started as an intern to an assistant to an agent over like a year span. My first big client was a band called Real Big Fish, who was blowing up with a single called Sellout in that moment. So went from that, the agency kind of imploded. I ended up going to work for Wind Up Records for a year or two, doing tour marketing for all the bands that Wind Up Records, other than Creed, thankfully. (laughs) Then they were changing my job to have to manage Creed's message boards, amongst other things, and told them I was not interested in that job. And that's a story for another podcast and another day, but a great story of how I left Wind Up. But um, left there, went back to school for a split second, then um, ended up leaving the music business per se in the late 90s, early 2000s. I think it was like 99 or something. And went to work for a music tech startup, which was just before there was that was even like a conversation. And worked for this company that sold advertising on artist websites and music websites in general, which was a really interesting concept that was 20-something years ahead of its time. You know, this is before Google advertising or any of these types of businesses. So they were ahead of their time, but a really interesting company. Worked there. Company, I was like employee number 12. The company went from 12 to a few hundred employees. Then the, you had the dot-com boom, a boom and crash of the early 2000s. That company collapsed. Then from there, for a split second, went to go work at London Sire Records, which was a label owned by AOL Time Warner. And right around that time, through the AOL Time Warner merger, things changed. That label got shut down. I was out of a job 12 weeks after I started. Then 9-11 hit. And it was a weird moment in New York where like, you couldn't even look for work. I didn't know what to do. Between losing my job in 9-11, I started an email newsletter and website called Randy Nichols Needs a Job, where I completely, and this is, this is pre-social media. So like, it was the only way I could tell people I needed a job. I, made a, I put my resume on a website. I put a couple of funny little tidbits about the industry on there emailed a weekly newsletter to everyone I knew in the business, reminding them that while I could be sitting on the beach all summer sipping margaritas, I'd rather have a job. That grew in people today still reference it who knew me back then, which is crazy. Went from that to not finding a job still. And my friends, Richard and Stephanie Rains, who ran a record label called Drive Through Records, asked me if I wanted to start a management company with them. And I was hesitant to start a company with them. Although they were old friends, they were just certain things, managing bands on a record label. It's just some things could be a bad look, like partnering with a record label and manage bands. We started a company together. Company lasted about a year. I separated the company out from them, all on great terms. Literally spoke to them this afternoon, believe it or not. And then launched my own management company, which, God, I left probably my drive through relationship on management in 2004, I think launched my own management company again, and um, did that for two years, partnered up with Red Light Management for six years. Then I left Red Light, took my artist roster with me, which was a decade ago. And when I left Red Light, part of, and this is a lot of what I know you want to talk about too, is part of what I found in my time at Red Light was a lot of these tech entrepreneurs would show up to our office, pitch us to fix problems, that weren't actually problems for us. (laughs) And I'd meet these people who were brilliant. Like they just didn't understand our business. They fundamentally just didn't get it, but were great people who had great ideas. And I ended up spending a lot of time talking to these people, getting to know them. And through that, it opened this whole new relationship world for me in tech. So when I left Red Light, I launched my new company, which I called Force Media Management. And the whole idea was I was doing more than just managing bands. And the first company I ended up getting involved in literally a month after I left Red Light was the founder of um, Bands in Town came to me. The company was just starting in the real early days. And they were looking for an investor to help them keep the lights on. They kind of ran out of money, had a great idea. And 
I just left red light and I had literally about $25,000 in the bank and they needed $25,000 to keep the lights on. And I lent it to them, which is insane as I can see from the look on your face. But I believe so strongly that their company was going to be massive and that this little bridge loan would save them and get them to the next step. Thankfully, I was right. The company ended up being acquired shortly after, and I was okay with my investment. And then from there, I got hired by the people who sold bands in town to, who I've consulted for on and off for a decade. That then opened me up to um, consult for a platform called At Venue, who I'm a minority investor in as well, which is the platform that most people in touring merchandise use to run their merch business. Then from there, sorry, this is probably five minutes rather than two minutes, but my sto- my story is long. Even As you short. can see, I'm shook and I didn't know that this is like, I had no idea that there were this many layers and you were doing a remarkably good job giving a lot in a little bit of time. So keep running it. This is I crazy. hate rambling. I like to just get right at it. <laughs> this so, is insane. Um, after at Venue, which I'm still involved with, I've emailed with those founders in the last day and literally I've talked to some of the people at Bands in Town this afternoon. So like I... I stay tied into everyone forever. That's just kind of my vibe of yeah. how I how I like to do things. So um, fast forward to the pandemic era, you know, and, and before the pandemic, I helped advise a few different startups, things I found interesting, but nothing that really took off. Come the pandemic era, I kind of was skeptical of live streaming, saw it working in a lot of other territories around the world. It was just like Americans are never going to pay for live streams. Then yeah. we saw Amber Lynn do a successful live stream and me and the Under Oath guys were like, Maybe it will work. Let's let's see what we can do. And we concepted this live stream where we went from live stream deniers to having a live stream that grossed almost a million dollars and then suddenly becoming the live streaming experts. And through that, I spent much of the last year just talking to people at booking agencies, management companies, major labels, companies like Amazon calling me and saying, hey, can you sit down with my team and tell them about live streaming? And just like, it was wild, all the different people that I sat down with to teach about live streaming. And I ended up vetting a lot of different platforms, trying to figure out who were the good players in the market. And one of the players that just really impressed me was this company called Moment House. And I was regularly talking about Moment House on calls I was having with people about streaming because I was impressed. That word made it back to the founders of Moment House. And those guys came to me and said, hey, why don't you actually join our team and officially be a part of this in telling people about us rather than just simply me being a random guy talking about them. So about five, six weeks ago, I joined the team at Moment House. I'm still managing some of my clients. I'm scaling back my management a little bit, but I'm uh, still managing and um, guiding Moment House now too on um, growth around rock metal and then kind of just other all the relationships and knowledge that i've just told you about bringing all of that experience to the table to help the company grow i'm also advising for a company called propeller who brings causes and musicians together to help musicians support causes and it's a really interesting concept a cause will pay for say a flyaway contest to see a band play at a festival bands enter the contest and then the charity gets all the fan info to try to grow new users for the charity. And the band gets all those fans data to have new fans to market to in the future. And it's a way to, for fans to do good supporting a charity while also growing their data business. And finally, I've been um, advising my friend's company called Tension Division, who is oh. a creative agency who does all the creative for under oath for since erase me moving forward they've been our creative director they've also been the creative directors for 21 pilots for the past um i don't know eight nine years they did like all of the the production right like the the visuals and all the led wall and like all that crazy stuff they did everything for under oath all of the production but then like all the concepting it's not just the execution Oh, it's the strategy and then the design and then the execution so those guys are brilliant so i'm I'm also helping those guys out. So I left, I left those two pieces out, but yeah, I've, I'm busy. Thank you for covering all of that because 
I know that you've done other podcasts and I know that you've spoken about yourself a bit. So I didn't want to make the whole podcast just your journey of I went to this, to this, to this. So just to conclude that, what is your current management roster? Because I feel like you were a little too casual about some of and the current massive bands that you work with. So I manage Under Oath, The Almost, The Starting Line, Vacationer, Aaron Gillespie, who is... um, very much so a writer in addition to a performer. He just signed a publishing deal with Built to Last Publishing slash Spirit Music this week, officially signed, or maybe the end of last week. So that's, that's the core of my roster. And I have to cool. say, Built to Last Publishing, it's the, her first signing for the publishing company was Aaron. I met her probably at a ska show 20 years ago in Connecticut. She was a raver kid hanging out at that show, and I became friends with her. Ended up working for me and Under Oath for six years, one of my favorite people in the world. And now she just launched her own publishing company and signed one of my artists to it, partnered with a multi-billion dollar publishing empire of Spirit Music. If you're not familiar with them, they are not a small company. So like just talking about friends and tying people together, it is just so freaking cool to have one of my artists signed to somebody's publishing company who used to work with me years ago. Like nothing makes me prouder than seeing someone I helped teach the ropes to now there to help teach me and help my artists. So it's just pretty freaking cool. Let's start right there because I think that that, what you just said there actually represents quite a lot about what I wanted to talk about with you. And I think that that's something we talked on the phone once before about this. And I really loved the conversation, but it's just how maybe tech looks at networking a little bit differently than some of the music industry. I shouldn't say all of it, but there's a mindset where you cannot be too cool for people and you can give people the time of day and you can get excited about being a catalyst and seeing what people are up to. And then after a story like yours, holy shit, that can lead to a lot of cool things happening. And I feel like that's a lot of what you have done so well, right? Like to unpack what you just said in all of that is insane, but I keep hearing these little common themes in it, right? Like bands in town, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking kidding me that you like saw that in them at that point and it grew to what it was and all of these pieces and just you're clearly paying attention to people more than you are specific businesses it feels to me so like where does that come from what is your stance on that how do you have that like that's so interesting to me people is just so important and it sounds silly and obvious but it's not like we're all in this business hopefully for a really long period of time and we shouldn't be worried about the exact company we're at if we do the right thing by people the company we're with will grow And if we do the right thing by people, the next five companies we're involved with will grow too. And they will grow as well. And I've just found throughout my career, I'm just always very transparent, honest. And I know you should never trust anyone that says they're honest. So call me out (laughs) or bullshit on me and say I'm a liar. That's fine. You should. But like, I just want to do the right thing in everything I do. And it just, it just makes life easier when you do. Like there's, there's less to hide and there's a lot of great people out there. I mean, there, there was a, an interesting story that I tell sometimes, which is my very first internship. The people I were interning for, I remember one of them said to the other one, be nice to Randy. He's going to be our boss one day. And it was, I think, mostly sarcastic, but a little bit like, shit, this intern's really good. But it's stuck in my mind to this day. And I still tell interns that all the time is you don't know where you're going to go and you don't know where everyone around you is going to go. So if you treat everyone in the moment when you're dealing with them, like they're the most important person, they're going to take such good care of you when you're down and out and you need them or when they're in a higher position. I can't tell you how many times I have people come to me who tell me you spoke to my class 10 years ago, or I cold emailed you and you wrote back to me and you gave me some advice. A lot of these experiences, I don't remember, but these people yeah. are now in positions of power. Yeah. And I, early on in my career, I remember I would email people, they would blow me off. I would call people and blow me off. And I used to always think, I can't wait till I get that point in my career where I'm so important 
that I don't have time to get back to people. And I'm not the most successful guy in the world, but I've done all right, but I've still never gotten to that point. I will tell you that, you know, more recently, sometimes I won't reply to someone if they write a long email that doesn't have an oh, ask and doesn't emails. have a point. The and long emails will get kind of rambling. I have at times not replied to those. Usually I do something that comes off as really dick-like, but it's not meant to be, which is your email's two pages long. I don't have time to read it, but I want to respect your respect you. Can you synopsis what you want to ask of me? And some people say fuck you, some don't, but like that's just, you know, time time yeah. is money. And more importantly than money, time is life. Any minute I'm taking reading a two-page story of someone's life that isn't really relevant to me, I could be spending going on a bike ride with my kids or going surfing. No, so, no, no. But that's a yeah. that's a really good lesson. Like I think that what I'm hearing in that, and it's something that I kind of try to say too, because I used to be rambly kid, right? And that was some of the best advice I ever got was like, just keep it short, keep it concise. So you're not saying like, oh, I'm so fucking cool. My time is not worth two minutes of reading your email. It's just, you're saying, I'm a guy that wants to meet all these people and give everyone the time of day. So when you're writing an email that long, you're missing that shot kind of thing. That's a lesson. I preach that. I preach yeah. cutting down the You never need emails. more than a paragraph. If you're trying you to introduce yourself to someone new, never more than a paragraph. I would never do more than a paragraph ever in anything in business in an intro email, no matter what the situation. Like you just, yeah. you don't because you lose the person after that. I've been thinking about doing somehow like a podcast or like a specific piece of content purely on email etiquette, because I think that in this day and age, especially more and more with everything being digital, just being able to communicate concisely via email is so important because it's like it's your first impression and you'd think it's counterintuitive because you want to tell somebody everything about yourself, but that's not the vibe. Just like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is what's in it for you. You're done. Just call it don't be a punisher. Yeah. 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 Right. Actually, somebody did. I feel like it was, I had somebody on the podcast that it maybe broke it down and they had like a cool little like system of boop, 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 how to, how to write it. But anyway, yeah, by the I way, don't want to sideboard that yeah, too hard. I want to, I want to, and we should save this for later because it's good content for you to do another time. But the one thing I do want to add is I learned, I made those mistakes at points in time and I had people tell me what I was doing wrong and I listened. I wasn't defensive and I listened and I learned. So we, we all make these mistakes. I'm, I'm no genius. I, I watch and I listen a lot. And that's, that's how I've learned to improve myself and try to have a ton of self-reflection and look yeah. at what I'm doing wrong, where my failings are so that I can improve. Yeah, that's a very big one is like, people can just be assholes. Like certain people will just be a dick to you for no reason. But at other times, I think that it does take a certain amount of self-awareness and thick skin to be like, this person's trying to help me. Like maybe they're telling me that I'm doing something wrong right now. And that hurts to hear because you probably believe in yourself. But when you can learn that from people that have been in the game for longer than you, like there's a chance that they're not trying to be a dick and that there's just something you can learn if you can, if you can be uh, humble enough to just look at that. Yeah, the one thing I want to say conversely to that, though, is you can be the old timer who's been in the business a long time. Shut your fucking mouth and listen, too, because you are going to learn so much more from that new person who isn't jaded yet, who doesn't know all the roadblocks that you have set in your mind that aren't going to work. And you may learn something new because they have a totally different perspective than yourself. And that's equally as important. Fuck, that's cool. Because I don't have that perspective, right? Like, I'm, I mean, I'm 30 now, and I've probably, yeah, I started 2008. So I've been in it in some capacity for 12 years, but I will oftentimes meet people and I always kind of look at them as like, what can I learn from them? But that is interesting of like the next generation and everybody on the other side of it is just like, what can these people learn from you? Because you're probably looking at this without that sense of like jaded, been in it too long, burnt out vibes. Yeah, when I get asked to speak at schools, I always have questions for the kids at the school too. Really? And like legitimate real questions of things I want to know, where is their head at? Like 10 years ago, you know, I used to always ask who's illegally downloading music. And I would have to preface it with, I'm not judging you. I've done plenty of it. But what are you doing? And I saw this turn like pre-Spotify even where people are like, I don't want to own things, not even stolen music anymore. 
it's too much of a headache. I don't want the files anymore. And I would love having those kind of conversations because that's where you learn what's happening next in culture by asking questions like what are people interested in? And, you know, like getting into that part I was just saying before about like, we do something the same way for 20 years in a career. We just think that's the way. And when somebody says do it something differently, our natural reaction is, hey, that's really cool. You want to try that, but you're wrong. And this is why. And it's really good to listen and hear their whole theory out and then talk it through. Because quite often, you're so set in your ways that you haven't thought out all the other ways to do something because you just do it your way. Right. Yeah. So would you say that that's been a big piece of success in your career is just always keeping that open mind to what other people are doing? I'd say that and just learning, wanting to learn all the time. I crave information like crazy. Like I just want to know everything. Like funny side note, I've never told the public on anything ever, but this like, I feel like tells a lot about myself. When I was in college, I remember tripping on acid and, you know, a lot of people like, Ooh, look at the colors, look at this, like that kind of stuff. I just wanted information everywhere I went. I just wanted to like suck in information and learn. And like, I wanted to like read the newspaper, watch the news, have a conversation with 10 people all at once and like suck in as much knowledge. Like I just have like an addiction to knowledge and, you know, mentioning that I did acid, like I'm not a drug guy at all though. (laughs) That was just that that experience. Yeah. Yeah, Most people that know me in this industry have never seen me have a drink. I rarely smoke pot. I'll eat edibles once in a blue moon. Like drugs and alcohol are not something that defines me in any way, shape or form, but I'm also not against them. And I think there's a time and a place for everything. But I just wanted to point that out because, you know, I think a lot of people who know me, you hear this, what? I've never even seen you have a drink. What the (laughs) fuck? Yeah, but that is that is so interesting, right? Like I think that certain times people can be intoxicated intoxicated in any whatever, right? Drugs, alcohol, anything. But you can really see a reflection of true self expressed in different ways. So the fact that you're like, yeah, the one fucking time or like such a rare obscure time that you were tripping on acid, the version of you that that was was just like, how can I learn more <laughs> instead of that? <laughs> Where do you, uh, where do you consume information now? I'm curious of that. Like if you're always obsessed with that, like where do you find good info right now? Where do you learn? Where do you feel like is a good source? Cause I almost feel like now with the internet, you have to get good at finding good information because there's so much available. You really do. And I feel like it's been years of curating newsletters is one of my big areas, which is just looking at different newsletters on different topics and not necessarily the normal ones that you'd expect, but there's just certain newsletters that I've come across that I end up on. I'm like, this is really interesting. Like there's a woman named Sherry Hugh who has a newsletter and a podcast and a Patreon called Water and Music. In my opinion, she is the most brilliant writer on the music and just like analyst of the industry in years. I think she's in like her early to mid twenties, which goes to my point of listening to those younger than you too, because yeah. I think she's more brilliant than almost anyone I listen to in the business. And there's things she gets wrong. You know, everybody gets things wrong. But when I saw something she wrote and I was like, hmm, interesting. And three or four times I'm like, all right, this woman's interesting. I'm going to start following her. Then there's another guy named Dan Rutchie, I think his name is. He has a uh, podcast newsletter called Trapital, which is pretty much only about the hip hop industry, but it's uh-huh. a business newsletter about hip hop. He writes really great stuff. But then some of the more bigger curated lists, there's um, a newsletter called Media Redef and Music Redef. And then they also have a sports one, I think, and a fashion one. It's basically the, each day, the, the editor of the newsletter writes like two paragraphs or three paragraphs about the topic. And then they curate the most interesting news of the day on that topic. And I find some amazing stuff in there. And the guy who founded that is a guy named Jason Hershorn, who's kind of was like at the forefront of like the music tech revolution 20 years ago. And now like he's on the board of, you know, I think like Pandora and a couple of other major corporations, like publicly traded corporations, but he still writes this newsletter from time to time. And like his takes are just so different than everyone else. So like, I like that one. 
just on LinkedIn in general, I like to, I have alerts set with LinkedIn where it oh, sends really? me an email when there's news about anyone that I'm friends with in LinkedIn. I typically get an email about that and I have almost 10 million followers on LinkedIn. So I get a lot of alerts of news about other people that, you know, I'm interested in. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny. Like you have people who are influencers. You know, yeah. like on TikTok and all these platforms, I'm kind of like a, a minor LinkedIn influencer. You're like a I'll LinkedIn post something. Guy. I'll post something and get like 10,000 views of a post I do on LinkedIn, which just blows my mind because like, you know, I post something on Instagram and I get 100 likes, but LinkedIn, 10,000 people can see it. Dude, that's actually like, I'm so glad I asked you that question because I've never gotten an answer anywhere close to that. And it really makes me stop and think for a second where I'm like, damn, because I haven't really been taking full advantage of newsletters. Like you're saying all these and you just made my job podcast editing super annoying, but it's okay. I love you for it because I'm going to have to link all of those in the show notes. But like that to me, that's awesome. Like I newsletters, what a great spot to find current up to date information that people are taking time to put detailed thought into that isn't just social media, like randomly catching something on Instagram. And then also you got me thinking about LinkedIn because funny enough, I was, I'm very, very rarely on there. And I was on there checking something, some message. I think I I could only get in touch with somebody through there. And the first post that popped up was a post of yours. And it was the Moment House post. And I was like, damn, this is sick. And that's how I saw that. So just look at that. Like, like that's just so cool that there's so many different ways to get your message across and to find information. And coming from you, a dude that's obsessed with finding information, those are two great tips. Listeners, go check the show notes because that's sick. (laughs) And I'll tell you, one of the benefits to newsletters, and I know some people are like, oh, newsletters are outdated. There's better ways to get information now. The reason I like newsletters is there's trusted curators who are going out there and packaging this information together for you. And it's coming to you. So I'll often be sitting at my desk working on something else, and I'll see that a little alert on the top of my screen with a headline in a newsletter that tells me information. So I'm too busy to go on Twitter to see what the news is in that moment. And I'm not missing it because it's coming to my computer. And I've created rules in my inbox where I have a newsletter like folder so that they all go in there so that I doesn't take away my focus from my core work too. Right. So then you can time block your little newsletter hour or whatever, where you can just go check them out when you have downtime or whatever. Yeah. I'm an inbox zero kind of guy. So I'm constantly trying to see everything all the time to have, again, desire for information, get all the information, like send a task to whoever needs to do something, file it away and move on. I don't like to sit on things. You know what? You might actually, we might have to do a follow-up episode. I'm sure we will, but we might have to do an episode on inbox, email, etiquette, all of that, because it's something that I think should be talked about and mastered. And I was I was a crazy guy that was not an inbox zero. I did not have folders. And it was Minardi. It was Johnny Minardi that, that yeah. put me on that. But I just think that there's a lot of productivity and with so much inflow of information, getting really good at your emails and sorting them and communicating properly is massively important. So props to you for that. And maybe we need to do a full deep dive on that. But yeah, And don't delete your emails. Save everything. I have every email from pretty much my entire career. Wow. That's another, this is going to be one of those podcasts that you have to go and listen to like three times because it's, it's so much information all at once where it's like, okay, he said this, he said this, that's a tip, write that down. That's great. Thank you. Um, I want to pivot a little bit though, because I also had this thought and this feeling uh, with everything you've done, and I'm really curious your take on it, and that is the feeling, where you mentioned so many things that you have been a part of, both in music and tech and outside of it and investing. And we were talking a little bit about people and how important the people are, but I'm curious if you get this. I'm curious what your take is on this, is like, do you get the feeling like in any of these things like when bands in town needed that 25k when at venue was getting started moment house 
the artists that you've worked with, I mean, dude, you've worked with Under Oath forever and all these artists, like, do you get the feeling where you're like, this is going to be something or how do you know? I don't know how you know, but you just like, you just see it. Like to me, when you see it, it's obvious. And you know, like this, this is nothing to do with even my artists, but a couple of years ago, I was at South by Southwest and I hadn't seen Lizzo yet. I didn't really know anything about her. Somebody said to me, you have to see Lizzo. This woman's going to be huge. And I'm like, cool. I'm at the club. She's playing in the front. I'm going to walk away from this conversation and go walk over at Stubbs and watch her play. And you see it and you're just like, it's undeniable. You can't define it until it's in front of your face. And when you do, it's undeniable. I went from not knowing who she was, just having a friend say, see this woman, to being like, she's going to be playing in arenas next year. And it was just like, it wasn't a question like, oh, this might be big. It was just, yes, this is what's going to happen. And we don't, I feel like we don't have those moments that often in our career, but when they do happen, you just, you have to just drop everything to do it. And talking about that feeling, there's there's another section of that feeling. There's that feeling where you know it's going to happen. And then it's that feeling when it actually happens. And it's such an exciting piece. And, you know, I've throughout my career had been involved in projects where I knew something was going to be big and I had that feeling, but the person or company didn't have that feeling about themselves and it damaged them. Like a great example I'll give you, and it's a band that I used to manage. And I think they would be the first to, to agree with me. So I don't even think I'm bad mouthing them, but I managed this group called Jamison Parker who had a big moment in like the early to mid 2000. There was a bidding war between Interscope and Island to sign them. And like everyone wanted to work with this band. We could do a podcast just on the hour about the buzz and what happened with this band. because It's crazy. But okay. the bottom line was the artist didn't want it. And they, everyone around it was working harder than they were. And they were their own worst enemy. And the band didn't make it because they just didn't understand what they needed to do for themselves. And I've since, and the reason I bring them up as an example is that, you know, they broke up probably a decade ago, but I still talk to them and they now see everything they did wrong. They didn't want it right. Like I remember a conversation I had with the guy Jameson in the band where he drew these awesome drawings. I had an artist mock them up as t-shirts and he came back to me and said, this, what is this crap? This shit's terrible. This looks like the crap that would be on the wall of Hot Topic that everyone will be buying. And I was like, yes, <laughs> exactly. And you designed it and I just repurposed it as a t-shirt. And like, that was the kind of shit I was dealing with with an artist. Like, they, It got to their head. They went from not being a band to being signed. They were super lazy, even though they were talented. They, we were doing a record deal with Interscope and they were supposed to name the band. They never named the band. The band was called Jamison Parker because it was the two guys' first name because they never got around to giving the band a fucking name. So like, you can want something and you can see it. And like, giving the really short version of this band, the, the two guys in the band were like, hey, let's fly out and go to Skate and Surf Festival in Jersey. I was like, yeah, come out. I'll introduce you to some people. You know, I'll help you get your career started a little bit. And yeah. by the end of that weekend, they were playing on the second stage in front of over a thousand people. And it played like five shows that weekend, but they went from not really even being a group to performing in front of a thousand people in a weekend to a bidding war from record labels. But they didn't have that feeling. They didn't do the work to get there and it didn't happen, but it's, it's one of the rare experiences in my career where usually like the record company fucked this up. This person right. fucked this up. That, ex- that experience, the artist didn't have the feeling. And, you know, interestingly, like one other side note, I'll make this part shorter. But no, I love When this. I worked I with this. bands in town in the early days, there was myself and this woman named Alexis Rodich, who the two of us were leading kind of artist relations and a lot of the company in the early days. And the original founder and some other people in the company, they were passionate about what they were working on, but not like the whole big picture of it in a lot of ways. And I felt like they could have been way more successful than they were, but you had two of us working who weren't running the company who were 24 seven living and breathing and talking to the company and to anyone that would listen. 
And then some other people are like, up oh, it's five o'clock on a Friday, I'm checking out. And like right. the leadership had more of that. And you know, no disrespect to them. Everybody should pick what's right for their life. But yeah. I found with Stanton Town even, I thought I wanted it more than they wanted it in the early days. It's like a good lesson to hear as you explain it, because it's like a good, like if anybody listening to this is chasing something or working on something, it's just simply that of like, if somebody gets that feeling when they see what they're doing, like you then have to back that with showing that you want it just as bad and that you're going to work harder than anyone else. Cause those are two great examples where you're just like, damn, I mean, obviously bands in town went on to be successful, but just that example is crazy. It's just so important. And it's something that I feel like a lot of us on the executive side of the business miss. Like this yeah. band is amazing. I have to manage them. Well, what's your relationship with the band? What's the relationship between the band members? What are other people's relationships like with this band that will impact their career? And there's so much that you have to look at because just having that it isn't always enough. If, yeah. if they have enough not it to contradict that it, it yeah. could shut them down even though they have what it takes to make it. So have you learned now? Like, do you have like a second uh, mental check when you like get that feeling when you look at something? Does it then follow by does the inward creator of that have that feeling as well? Like, do you have to vet that now? Yeah. I mean, I, I to me, if some if I'm more excited about anything that someone's doing than they are it's quite often, you know, an end of conversation because yeah. it's just not going to work. They need to want it so badly that like they will do anything for it because if they don't like, it's just like business is hard. Being in a band is really hard. Yeah. And, you know, I typically don't like to manage a band that hasn't managed their own career first to some degree because they need to know how hard the job is. Cause when they don't know how hard the job is, there's unrealistic expectations of the team. And I don't mind having unrealistic expectations on myself, but what I mind is an artist that doesn't understand what they need to do to have their own success. Yeah. Again, like it was just kind of something that I was thinking about as we were talking about it, where I'm just like, the amount of things that you have been a part of and involved with, like having that compass of knowing when to get involved or when to step away or when to just say no thanks is gotta be so crazy because again you only have so much time in the day and it's not like you're not taking things on you're clearly willing to work on projects you believe in but just having that compass feels so valuable and clearly you have it so it's just so curious yeah and i've made mistakes like there's there's been paths that i probably should have followed that i didn't and that's okay like you know i'll, I'll give a great example of that i had the opportunity to become a partner in crush artist management in the early days of crush <laughs> oh shit and I sat down with Jonathan and um, there was another manager named Josh Newman, I think his name was, and Bob McGlynn. And we talked about partnering up and I just didn't feel right about the deal. And the deal was very fair. Like they were not unfair in any way, shape or form, but I just didn't feel good about the structure and how yeah. things were going to go. And I, I, some days I'm like, wow, I wonder what it would have been like if I was a partner in that company. But at the end of the day, their business ethics are different than my own. And again, they're not bad. Like I think Jonathan Daniel may be the best manager in the music industry. You know, that's very rare. You'll hear me say someone's a better manager than myself, but I'll, I'll put him up there as, as one of them. And, you know, like I, I've got nothing but respect, but it didn't feel right for me. And like in retrospect, it doesn't feel right to me either. So, you know, that one, I don't consider a mistake. I'm trying to remember one that I truly look at as a mistake, but I, I've had a few that, you know, like, I just didn't think it was right. But, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't feel like I, I was wrong to walk away too, because there's reasons why we make all the decisions we make in life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's really well said. It's cool that you don't look back at that with regrets, but just that you acknowledge all of the different pieces coming together. A band much bigger than Under Oath in the rock world came to me at a time when they were smaller than Under Oath looking for a new management. And in my conversation with them, I asked them like, well, what's wrong with your old management? And they said, well, we're bigger than them now. Like we're too big for them. They didn't point out what they did wrong. They just said they were too big. And my view of that situation was if I do my job correctly, 
they will one day be too big for me in their perception. And that was just something that I did not actively pursue because it just didn't make sense because I was setting myself up for potential failure in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, that's really, really interesting that you said that because I also, something that I like really encourage, cause I have, I would say this podcast, it's interesting, the demographic and the people that end up listening. Like, I think that it's only people that are like just trying to get their foot in the door with music. But I think there is a mix of everybody that's even involved in music or has a band or is doing whatever they're doing. But like on that, something that I always always champion is just come up with the people like come up with your rider dies come up with your day ones don't feel like you're gonna get too big because who knows like if you encourage that circle around you like obviously if they don't step to the plate yeah cool it's not gonna work but people only get to where they're at by coming up together and having those things so that attitude that you're explaining is just like so backwards in a lot of ways yeah, I mean, you just you just need to surround yourself with good people. And if you surround yourself with good friends who keep you honest and you keep honest and you can all work together, like there's there's nothing you can't do. Yeah, it sounds cheesy, but it's so true. Like, I, I really yeah. do believe that. OK, another thing, a whole other topic that I wanted to talk to you about. I'm kind of just like rapid firing a couple because I know go that we it. could go on about it. But these are all things that I think of when I talk to you every time. Things where I, I naturally want to talk about these subjects with you because I really love your views on them. And one of those is the future. I think that you're you're a dude that's always looking to innovate and always looking like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you're a little bit bored of just being like the traditional sense of like manager, like band goes on tour, music comes out, sell music, whatever. And I think we have a lot of really fun discussions about the future and get excited about where that can go and how things can evolve. So maybe it's too broad of a question, but like, what are you excited about right now? Like what, as you look at the next coming years, like obviously Moment House feels like part of it because you're really figuring streaming out, but like what's, what gets you excited about the future right now? Yeah. I mean, honestly, like it's such a broad question, but the thing that excites me is just something new. Anything that's a new way to interact with people, you know, audio is a big one right now. You see Clubhouse that's taking off over the last six, nine months, and now every service in the world creating their own audio platform. Oh, yeah. And Twitter just did something like that, too. Yeah. Twitter's got spaces, um, even Moment House. We, ha we have a tool where fans can all talk to each other while watching live streams and hang out and create oh, their sick. own houses to talk to their friends. But voice, I just find, and it sounds ridiculous because that's going back to the earliest, earliest levels of communication. But I'm excited about voice for one because it's changed a lot of how people are interacting over the last six, nine months as like Clubhouse has grown. I, one of the things I love about Clubhouse is you're actually talking to real people and you're having an actual conversation. So a lot of that anger and political rhetoric that you find on Twitter and find on other social media platforms doesn't really happen when you're in a voice-based platform. And it's interesting because you see all this anger on you know, the socials, but if you talk to that same person that you disagree with in person, you very quickly find common ground. So you, you'll agree to disagree, but you can be respectful. But in a social media conversation, it's just war. So there's something about audio and voice that's bringing human life back again. It's bringing some humanity back to social media. So that's something that I'm very much excited about. And I mean, this, I mean, both these things just sound so silly because it's what everyone talks about, but you know, I'm, I'm excited about some applications for blockchain down the line too. Dude. And and, you know, yeah. like, obviously, like, everyone's talking about NFTs right now. But, you know, I, I look at things with NFTs, and there's so much more there. At the end of the day, an NFT is a key. And that key can unlock anything. And the beauty of it should be how you can utilize this technology, not just that it exists. Like, it's amazing that people made $60 million selling his artwork. And more power to him. But, you know, yeah. when you drill down on that, it sold for $60 million because a guy from a platform that's going to create another business that's going to create revenue streams 
he's the one who bought it. Nobody talks about who bought it, why he bought it, and that that's a tool to then generate other income. So what's really exciting about NFTs and blockchain isn't, oh, I could sell a bunch of artwork. It's how are we going to use this technology? And I'll give a great example that I feel like would be amazing is some of these artists now are doing NFTs that um, it's like an artist NFT. It comes with lifetime free tickets to the artist, you know, four free front row seats forever. Then yeah, you, yeah, have, yeah. you own this NFT that gets you this. But the next step is you use a hundred year old technology to call that manager to ask for tickets to that show. Or you use 30-year-old technology and you email that manager to ask for tickets to that show that you bought. I would be way more excited if I could sell an NFT that then as that fan can ticket themselves, however many tickets they're allowed that they're granted a year through that NFT, that they can log into the ticketing site and that key automatically unlocks their ticket. They ticket themselves and they don't talk to anyone. That to me is exciting. And I, th I think that kind of technology will come. But yeah. like to me, it's not just like the surface of what the new technology is. It's where it can go. And kind of going back a step to like voice, like we were talking about, I think it's great that Twitter's launching voice and some other platforms. But what I really am excited about seeing voice integrated is LinkedIn. And I don't know wow. if they're going to do it, but I think they will eventually to have like business leaders leading interesting conversations about their product or yeah. just a conversation like this where we can yeah. have, you know, I have a lot of followers there where any of those followers could see that I'm talking and they could join in in the conversation instantly and make it more interactive. Like those things excite me a lot. Just how can we interact in general? And then, you know, just beyond that, Shopify is another platform that excites me a lot. It's, you know, it just, such a brilliant new way to sell merchandise beyond just an online store. It's an yeah. ecosystem. It's, it's like a merch store that had a baby with the app store. And a lot of people don't realize that, but there's so many apps to like go through your data and learn from it. Like when we did Dude. the under oath live stream, one of the things I was able to look at was who bought tickets to the live stream. And there's an app called Caro. I think it's C-A-R-R-O that analyzes who the people are that bought your tickets and what their social media following is. And you can export it or in a dashboard sort to see who the biggest social media influencers are that bought something in your store. So I was able to sort and see who bought anything. So like there was a professional wrestler in there. There was like that guy, Matt Cutshell, who makes amazing like oh, Instagram yeah, yeah, videos. Yeah. I was like, oh shit, Matt bought a ticket. And like, I wanted to hit him up and it never happened. But I wanted to hit him up and be like, hey, let's do something. Let's do a collaboration with Under Oath around, you know, you're clearly a fan because you just bought a ticket to this. What can we do together? And, right. you know, being honest, we're now talking to him about doing something unrelated to that. But we are talking to him. But I yeah, knew that, that he was yeah. a fan because I was able to analyze my data to see that from our store site and see how much money he spent in our store. So just use of data and specifically within Shopify, that excites me a lot, too. Yeah, dude, man, like all of that. I, I love not only like the examples that you gave, but what they represent and the way that you think with them, because you're so right. Like, It's not like just the NFT or whatever. It's like, it's what is that technology and how can you use that? And I think that everybody in any industry can find that application, but us specifically talking, well, for the most part, music, hearing these examples explained is so cool. And I love like, Oh man, I I, just, I get so excited. Like maybe this was a little bit too broad of a topic just for like this specific. <laughs> well, the future podcast, is a little broad. I have to say. Yeah, it's yeah, it is. It is. But I just like all of that, and I really like where you're, I really, really like the way that you explained voice because here I am working in podcasting. And I feel like I couldn't have even explained that as well as you did of just how you have all of this conflict in social media, yet voice is conversations and discussions and understanding and bringing things together. I really, really love that. And everything that you just explained too with like smart content, like dude, I, I, it's like one of those things where I'm sure 
we'll talk in six months or something. You'll be like, remember that idea that I had about how fans could ticket themselves for the NFTs? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I figured it out. Cool. Um, well, I'll tell you what else I'm excited about, which talking about ticketing and NFTs and everything else. I have to get this one out there. And I'm giving an idea that I should keep to myself, but fuck it. I'd rather see innovation than keep things to myself. So I want to see a platform that may or may not need to use blockchain to disrupt all of secondary market ticketing, also known as ticket scalping. Where yeah. the way things currently work, when an artist goes on tour, let's say you sold a thousand tickets at $10 a piece. That's $10,000. Now, if those tickets all were resold on the secondary market for $100 a piece, that's $100,000 gross. There is $90,000 in money that was made on the show that both the artist and the promoter will never see a dime of. I Correct. would love to see a way where a ticket, much like an NFT, every time it's resold, the original rights holder is paid again. So I would love to see a way where eventually, as a ticket is scalped, the artist and promoter are compensated again, as they should be. Because you have on, on live touring, you, know, you have a concert, and that example I just gave, you have a gross of $10,000, but there's a shadow gross of an additional $90,000. So of a $100,000 show, only 10000 is going to the artist and the promoter. And that, to me, is just not right. And that needs to change. And the technology exists to do it today. It's just a matter of how. Dude, that is so crazy. Because, yeah, if everything is, if, if all of ticketing is going off of some kind of smart contract, then, yeah, you can just build all of that in. I mean, I can't sit here in front like I know how to code smart contracts or I know all of this on blockchain, but it's like, you're right. The technology is there. And again, what gets me so excited and like why I fuck with you so heavy is like you're thinking like as this technology is coming out, you're thinking of ways to apply it to your industry. And it's like, no, you're not a digital artist, right? You're not Beeple. That's not going to directly affect you. But you're like, okay, cool. That represents this. How do I then take that and apply it to all the other stuff I'm doing? And that mindset, that whatever that is, it comes back to the, it comes back to you selling lollipops. It comes, it's like, it's that dude. And it just, it feels like you have that through and through and everything you're doing. And maybe part of me wanting to do this podcast is sharing stories like these and like yourselves in that mind and like yourself in that mindset, because learning from example, and again, audio, it's like, you're thinking with this, you're hearing these people talk about it. Maybe you're going to think of things, but it's just everything that I want to talk about. It's everything I want to share. It's everything I wish more people would think like that. Because I feel like crazy shit happens when people do. I don't know if I'm getting a little too rambly and excited. I just like that nah, gas is me out, man. It. Here's a question. Yeah. What, um, you know, on, on the topic of audio and you're talking about how excited you are as this is a primarily music focused podcast. Yeah. <laughs> like what's a way for a band to incorporate that? Like, do you, do you think there's applications in bands? Also, what up little one? Yeah. <laughs> he says hi. Hold on one second. What's up? Hi, welcome to Where All My Friends. When I'm done with my call body. Sorry about that. <laughs> got, got, got to look out for the, for, the, for the future, you know? I'm saying. So, yeah, it, that's the future right there. <laughs> I can so, only imagine what your child yeah. will go to do with a mindset like yourself. Or with she having is going a mindset to rule the world. I can guarantee <laughs> you that. And I, I hope she likes me when she gets to that point. <laughs> so your question it. are you asking like how artists can implement nft voice which which no, thing like, were you talking like about voice like is it as simple as like every artist should have a podcast or like do you think like like what do you what do you think artists should be doing in this space like you're a manager you're seeing it you're getting excited like where where do you think bands should be applying it yeah i mean i think it it needs to fit their story of what they're about it's figuring out what that is. Like an artist like Under Oak, we did something, you know, that was really with voice, although we weren't looking at it in this sense when we did it. We, I came up with the idea for this series we called Full Album Breakdown, where the band on Twitch went and reviewed each of the albums of their catalog. They sat and they listened to each album in their entirety. They brought in the producer of those albums, 
other artists they toured with on each album cycle and artists who were fans of those records and, and some other people like booking agents and other people, label execs. But we talked about each moment in the band's career and that was a good use of voice and interpersonal relationships where we could have done that as a podcast series, but I think it worked better in a real time two way conversation where right. fans were with the band in the moment when they were listening and they could chat in the chat and hear about what we were listening to and what we were talking about. And like, that's a great example. You know, that's something that we did, but it's really finding what works for you. Like yeah. I have some ideas for under oath that I don't want to give away too much yet, but I want to do something on clubhouse as we're setting up the voyeurist era of under oath, which is kind of what our next major project is going to be called. And, you know, with that name voyeurist, I want to do something on Clubhouse where I'm not going to say much, but people will be watching what we're working on. And I should say listening to what we're working on because it's a voice platform and yeah. allowing people to be around and be voyeurs to what we're doing. Wow. I mean, again, I guess that's I'm hitting you with some broad questions, but I guess it is just kind of always looking. I guess the lesson to learn or what I take away from that is always looking to how you can creatively apply that to you and you can't blank into you can't blanket answer that because it's you and it's your creative yeah, well i'll give a, another great answer around that that's super short so the idea for full album breakdown came from me reading an article about a british band i can't remember who it was whether it was blur or like one of those like you know one of those era bands like blur and what the artist was um doing album playbacks of their albums and live tweeting it just like listening to the album and giving his own feedback of his album 20 years later. And I read that and I said, that's interesting. I know Grant from under oath wants to do something with Twitch. Let's rip off this idea and turn it into everyone talking about the album rather than just simply a tweet about the album. And let's let the fans hear us listening to the album rather than listening along at home. So like my, my advice on it is, you know, it goes to like what I was saying, information, read, learn, and then rip off other people. I'm ripping off ideas from other people all the time. And I would give proper credit if I could remember who it was. But, you know, I don't think that they're going to be bothered that I've ripped them off in any way, even because it's not, you know, damaging them in any way. Dude, it's uh, you're, I had to Google the author's name, but it's, it's still like an artist like uh, by Austin Cleon. Oh, interesting. I've never heard that. Oh, dude, it's uh, yeah, there's a book. It, it's it's basically just like creatively being inspired. It's like, don't just directly copy paste, rip stuff off, but like get inspiration and, and you just. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's where like with Under Oath, when we did this live streaming series, like we did something that at the time was cutting edge that nobody had done. One of the things we were most excited about was to see how people were going to rip us off and what they were going to do. And we saw some people who we know for a fact took our ideas and brought it to the next level. And it was awesome to see, you know, like yeah. one artist had a lot more money than us and built out just something totally different, but absolutely inspired by what we did. And like another artist probably spent the same amount of money, but brought in some crazy ideas like hologramming in artists to be in the room in like they did the same kind of circle like Under Oath had they had a guest artist that was a hologram in the room with them. And it was just so freaking cool. Oh, dude, that reminds me. Um, I think it was good to great Jim Collins that talked about this, but like there's this, this concept where he's talking about, I'm pretty sure it's him, but this author is talking about the Walkman, like the Sony Walkman yeah. being invented. Right. And then Sony goes and innovates and innovates and innovates and it goes from cassette to CD and it goes to no skip and all of these things. But how far can you take the Walkman and then you get the iPod? And it's like, would the iPod have happened without the Walkman? No. But did the Walkman, like it, it, you needed to see the Walkman to be like, that's cool, but we're going to go and do it entirely different and better. So it's like, not don't be threatened by that, but just like see those things and be like, how can I apply this? How can I make it better? How can I take this idea and then go crazy? Exactly. I mean, the key is, you know, borrow liberally with other people's ideas, but give credit where you can and don't be upset when people do the same to you because like we genuinely were excited. I sent links to Under Oath as I saw other people doing stuff that I knew borrowed from us and 
it was fun to see. Like we're not bothered by it. I mean, the same thing goes to, you know, like when we heard little Pete sample, um, too bright to see for the first time, you know, which was one of his biggest songs too. I believe it was in Hellboy, which was like his intro music in every show he played. But we heard that song, you know, years, you know, years before Little Peep was really even that big. And we're like, wow, this is sick. Like we literally kept our mouth shut. We didn't even alert the record company that this song wasn't licensed or it's like, whatever, this is cool. And, yeah. you know, when the time came that he got a little bit bigger, we took care of all the paperwork to do things legitimately. But like, we weren't offended. We were stoked to see somebody take something that the guys created and do something new with it. Dude, that's so sick. That's so, so sick. I feel like we, like, I feel like this is a good spot to leave it just because if we go into any other deep dive, it's going to be a whole thing. And I try not to go podcast too much over an hour because how many people have time to listen to crazy long podcasts, but maybe we just come back. Maybe listeners, if you're listening to this and you liked it, and if we didn't cover a specific subject, like I, I'm very willing to talk more, but did I miss anything on these specific topics? Was there anything else you wanted to add? Nah, I think, I think we kind of nailed this. This was, this was a lot of fun. Like we, we got covered me fired a lot up, of, dude. Yeah. We covered a lot of ground quickly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, like, I notice I can catch myself now after doing this. It's like, Oh, hold up, hold up. You're talking faster than you can think, or you're thinking faster than you can talk and you'll like stutter. <laughs> and I've been doing that because I'm so excited, but it's a good thing. And I, I, I really liked this conversation, man. Same here. I just, I, I just love doing this stuff. And, you know, like I just in closing things out, you know, I'd say, you know, you know, as I said, I'm open to talk to anyone. People reach out to me on LinkedIn or other social platforms. If you see me, you know, follow me on Clubhouse. I try to lead some good conversations there when I can. Find me wherever. Like, I'm always interested in engaging with people. And if anyone wants to do a live stream, hit me up too. You know, I'm not, I'm not a salesy type person, but if someone's thinking about doing live streaming, hit me up. Moment House has a sick platform, which we really didn't dive into, which we don't need to, but... If anyone wants to learn more, reach out. I'd love to share about what we're doing there as well. We're kind of looking at the business a little bit differently than most people and would love to host live streams of all my favorite artists too. Dude, that, I'm so glad you brought all of that up. And that is such a great way to conclude. And I think for a listener, if you haven't gotten the feeling yet, there's a lot of things that Randy does. So instead of trying to cover it all on this podcast, if you liked anything that you've like heard here and if you agree with these ideas, just maybe go do the deep dive on you and go find your LinkedIn profile and see all the things you're up to and just know that you're a dude that's willing to talk to people and you'd, you'd love to hear from people that have cool things going on. Yeah, totally. Always yeah. looking for what's next, especially on the tech side. I always want to be told what, I'm, what I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not excited for people to tell me that I know what I'm talking about. I'm most excited for people to tell me I'm wrong. I don't know something and this is what I need to know. That's, that's what gets me most excited. That's fucking awesome, dude. That's so sick. Well, dude, seriously, thank thank you for this. Like this was absolutely incredible and it was about damn time we did the episode. Yeah, seriously. This this was great. I I hope everyone enjoyed it as much as I did. Awesome. Yeah, likewise. <laughs>